Hey everyone, my name is Chris and I am host of the Stellar Spark Show. So as I was deciding on a topic for today's episode, I really wanted to talk about President Trump's recent COVID diagnosis and the implications for the election, as well as the second and third presidential debates that are scheduled to occur this month on October the 15th and October the 22nd. So President Trump was diagnosed with coronavirus last week and ended up needing to go to the hospital at Walter Reed Medical Center upon the recommendation of his doctor. And it was really troubling for me personally uh, when the announcement was made. But thankfully, nothing serious was involved with that as far as we know. But the president's out of the hospital now and he's back to work in the White House. But we've really never had a president have this type of crisis since 1981 when President Ronald Reagan was shot in an assassination attempt by John Hinckley Jr. Jr., excuse me. And it's very close to an election as well. And I recall that making a comparison, I made this comparison in my video on my channel as well, that President Wilson during World War One, after World War One was over, there was a there was an influenza influenza outbreak. And it was worldwide at that point. And it was very serious. It killed off a lot of people in Europe and around the world. Millions of people in the world were killed by influenza, a very severe strain. And President Wilson, I believe, was campaigning as well. And he ended up catching the flu, which many say contributed to his weakened state and he would eventually have a stroke in 1924 and many attribute it to the stress of the presidency but also the illness as well and then another example of this would be I'd say President Roosevelt in around 1944 and 1945 and he had a myriad of health issues that we didn't know about in terms of his heart issues as well. And I know that the reason the reason there was a lot of secrecy around that because they because many were concerned about President Roosevelt's image as a leader that, that he needed to project strength. And if he was shown in a wheelchair because he had polio at the time, which wasn't curable because they didn't have a treatment yet, that Many would feel that that would make President Roosevelt look weak when we know today that's not the case at all. But at the time, they were very concerned about that. And they didn't want to show any weakness, perceived weakness on the part of the president. And that's probably why we're having a lot of media outrage at 
President Trump for keeping things secret about his health. And I understand that many want transparency from President Trump about that. And that's very important that we know the condition and the health of the president, if he's able to continue doing his duties. But if he says he's able to continue his duties and he's doing them without any major interference, then I'm assuming that the president is fine and and able to conduct the duties of the office. Now, if he is incapacitated or cannot carry out the duties, he feels he's not able, then there's a procedure in place for that. If he does not feel that he is capable to do the these duties that he has to do. And what he would have to do is he would have to send a letter to Congress saying that he's incapable of carrying out the duties of the presidency and therefore transferring the duties over to Mike Pence, which would make him acting president upon upon that notification. But I don't expect that to happen. I mean, obviously, if President Trump has a severe complication, which we're not hoping for, it would have to happen because if he's not able to serve and it's something serious, then he would have to transfer that power. And then something else I wanted to discuss was that President Trump was receiving treatment that had not been approved yet. I believe. And a lot of these drugs were in clinical trials and they had not even, like I said, gone through the process of being approved. And so a lot of these effects of the drugs are probably unknown. And what that does to people. So that could clearly have an impact on the president's judgment or cause some side effects that he's not aware of. But I'm sure if he had an issue, he would let the White House physician know about that and continue to serve. So I don't really think it's going to be too much of an issue, but it's just something to keep an eye on. Something to keep monitoring as time goes on, because a lot of people say that a lot of experts say that the complications really don't start until a significant amount of time after one has the disease, but it obviously varies for everyone. We still don't know a lot about this disease, so take that with a grain of salt. But it's important to be monitored. It's important to know when something's not right. And apparently, President Trump's physician noted that and he saw something that was not right. And a lot of media outlets were reporting that President Trump was receiving supplemental oxygen at the White House, which leads me to believe that he was having trouble breathing with the disease and it's a vicious disease and it's very unfortunate and sad that many Americans lost their lives because of it. And then there was another controversy. Once president Trump returned back to the white house, he wanted to do a photo op showing that he was fine. He was, he was gesturing, giving thumbs up. And then he got to the top of the uh, stairs there at the white house and he took the mask off. And a lot of people were saying that that exposes his staff to a higher risk of contracting a coronavirus, and it does. But a lot of his inner circle, a lot of his circle already has tested positive, such as former Governor Chris Christie, Hope Hicks, the White House press secretary, his campaign manager. So I could list a lot of different individuals that 
caught the virus, but they're, they're not allowing contact tracing about, about that. So that's up to them, but I don't really think it's as prudent to be having large gatherings such as the one uh, about the Supreme Court announcement. I thought that was a wonderful event, but it could have been done without a lot of people there that ended up getting sick. So maybe now that a lot of the staff have fallen ill, that they may do things differently or they may say, well, we've had it already. Let's just continue going about our business. And that remains to be seen if they're going to adjust anything. But they definitely should have a protocol in place to make sure that this thing doesn't spread to Congress. It doesn't spread out elsewhere to other places because we need to have a functioning government. It's very important. It's imperative that we have a continuity government. I'm sure there's a plan in place for that if things do take a turn for the worst, because they do have those things in place for uh, attacks or nuclear disasters and things of that nature. But certainly a pandemic is a risk to our national security because if the president, vice president, and speaker of the house fall ill, then you just have to start going down the line of succession. And I also saw that Attorney General Bill Barr is in isolation, isolation as well, because he was around the the spread as well. He was at the event for the Supreme Court nomination, but there is a presidential line of succession, and it's about seventeen individuals that are in line for the presidency. And it's spelled out in the Presidential Succession Act of 1947, which was signed by President Harry Truman. And that talks about how the Speaker of the House and the President pro tempore of the Senate are on the line of succession. Because after President Roosevelt died, there really was not a clear procedure in in place. So President Truman signed that, and it really spells out what happens if the president becomes disabled in the 25th Amendment as well. So the presidential line of succession is really important. Because, like I was saying, if something does happen where all these officials, like I just said, the president, vice president, and speaker uh, contract the virus, they become incapacitated. The That act comes into play as well as the 12th Amendment and the 25th Amendment. And it would determine who acts as president if those individuals are not able to carry out the office or the duties of the office. So the president, the current presidential succession line is this. So the, it's the vice president, speaker of the house, president pro tempore, secretary of state, secretary of the treasury, defense, attorney general, interior, agriculture, commerce, labor, health and human services, urban development. Uh, then it would be transportation, but secretary Chow is ineligible because she was not born in the U.S., 
So she's not a native-born U.S. citizen. And then we get further down, it gets more ambiguous because they're not too sure. It, it's not clear if an acting official can be acting president. And that that's pretty ambiguous. So if the first three, the president, obviously, if he can't do it, it would go to the vice president and then the speaker. So it would go all the way down that Chuck Grassley would be, excuse me, would be uh, become president there. So now if all of these individuals contract the virus, it's real, it hasn't happened before. So it's not clear what would happen if I would have to read the statute a little bit further. If everyone in the line of succession catches the coronavirus, who becomes president in that, in that event? And it's, it's not too unlikely, folks, because a lot of cabinet officials were there at the Supreme Court announcement, or at least a few of them were there. So that's not clear to me if all of the cabinet and the president and vice president contract coronavirus, what happens to our government? And I'm sure that Congress would have to get involved at that point and legislate for that situation. So I just, I do hope that it never comes to that and that we'll have a continuity of government in place or plan for that. And that things will continue to run smoothly. And so this is all happening a month before the election, a month before the presidential election will be the 59th presidential election in our history. Where a lot of voters already voted in this election, myself included. And the outcome is going to be determined in these next few weeks. And it's unclear to me what the effect is going to be of the president contracting coronavirus a few weeks ahead of the election because it really hasn't happened. Like I said, there's kind of little historical precedent for a president in the first term. It has happened in this. These crises have happened in the second term. Uh, president Reagan, I believe, was in the beginning of his first term and he was shot, but he, it wasn't an infectious disease like this, where it, it risks spreading to other parts of the government. So they're definitely going to need a containment plan in Congress and elsewhere and prevent the spread of this. As for the election, I do think that it's unwise for Joe Biden to be campaigning, in my opinion right now, because if Joe Biden contracts the virus, it would fall to the convention, same thing with President Trump. If he fell ill and was not able to be the nominee, they would have to call an emergency convention to renominate nominate someone else. But both candidates' names will remain on the ballot because there was a situation back in the 1800s with, uh, I believe it was President Grant, was running against Horace Greeley. And Greeley died before the election, and there was a lot of confusion as to who his electors would be pledged to, and they just subsequently scattered to all these different candidates. 
such as Samuel Tilden and others. So we definitely hope that doesn't happen. We hope both major party nominees make it to Election Day, that they will be able to know the outcome of this election and what what this country is going to be doing in the next four years because it's going to impact our future to a sizable extent. So Biden has been campaigning in Pennsylvania and Michigan while the president is just getting back to the campaign trail and holding virtual events for now during his isolation because he doesn't want to spread it to his supporters or anyone else unnecessarily. So I do think, though, it may help the president in terms of a sympathy bump. Some people may feel a lot of solidarity with President Trump if they've had the virus or they know someone that's been impacted by the virus. But it's a double-edged sword because then some people don't like President Trump's handling of the virus. I don't agree with that point of view. I, I do think that he's taken strong actions to a certain extent. I think he sent mixed messages in the media about how to best handle the virus in terms of mask wearing and social distancing, but it was very unclear in the very beginning, according to the experts. So I don't really place too much blame on him for that. But as far as I know, that voters assign blame to a president in the election year and not in previous years of the of the term of the administration. So it's really going to come down to what did President Trump do this year in terms of responding to the coronavirus and responding to the impending recession? And how is the economy now? Is it better than it was this year? Is it better than four years ago? And that's what it's going to come down to. And a President Trump can spin this as an economic recovery, which he's trying to do right now. I started to follow that, what he's doing. The unemployment rate has been falling. The stocks are doing well. So those are good indicators for the incumbent. If things get better by election day, if the unemployment rate is around five to six percent, I'd say it fair as the president. Joe Biden really needs to position himself as the alternative and someone who could unite the country, which he's trying to do, and also the reasons why we should elect him instead of him criticizing the president because a lot of people criticize the president and it doesn't work. He need, Joe Biden needs to make sure that people know what he stands for, what he will do in one term because he probably will only pledge to do one term because he's his because of his advanced age, he's 77 and he would be 81 when he leaves office in 4 years. So that's definitely something to keep in mind. But it's important for him to just explain his positions to the American people and what he will do instead of saying he's the anti-Trump candidate. Because historically, that has not won elections. Usually, it comes down to why do voters want to turn out? Who are they turning out for? And what do they really want to see over the next four years? So I'll leave it there and let the voters decide, folks. Let everyone else decide that with me. What do they think is going to happen? I mean, we could talk about this all day as pundits or commentators, but 
it really is going to be determined by getting out the vote. And I know some people are not comfortable with voting in person. So vote by mail is going to definitely, I, in my view, spike turnout up very high this circle. Remains to be seen. It's going to be an interesting situation. And stay tuned for that. But I'm going to leave it there, folks. And I appreciate you listening today. Appreciate you supporting the channel. The channel is doing very well. Consider supporting this podcast to keep things going, as well as the channel, following the social media, the blog. And be sure to email me your suggestions. Leave your suggestions down below on my channel, on the community tab of my channel on YouTube, at Stellar Spark. And this has been my discussion of the coronavirus and its impact on the 2020 election, specifically both nominees. And tonight will be the vice presidential debate. And this is the only debate of the cycle for the vice presidents, the vice presidential nominees. So make sure you tune in for that, folks, and see who is a better candidate to represent you in January. So that's all I have. And this is Chris, and I'm host of the Seller Spark Show, signing off.